We began looking at James 4 last week, and we came to the first three verses with this question, how can we learn not to quarrel and dispute? James, we recognized last time, James is writing to the church here. He's writing to believers. And we heard him say in the first three verses that to learn not to quarrel and dispute as followers of Christ, you must start with you. I want you to go to, to James chapter 4 with me as we continue our study in this series of studies on James. James writing to believers. We saw it last week in verse 1. What causes quarrels, he says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you, says James in verse 1. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You must begin with you. If you want your relationships with people to be right, you've got to start with yourself. And we're not talking about being selfish here. We're talking about not being selfish by beginning with ourselves because we are selfish by, by human nature. That's what James is challenging here. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So as we heard last time, the way to putting an end to your quarrels and disputes with people is to start by dealing with your own heart. So if we want to learn to move beyond arguments and disputes, then we must be willing to take a serious look at our own hearts and on our own selfishness, taking a serious account of our own selfishness revealed in the, in the nature of our own hearts. And one way our selfishness is revealed, as we saw last time, is in either our lack of prayer or if we say we pray, then our selfishness is, is revealed in the way we pray, with, with selfish motives, says James. So the believer who wants to honor God and mature spiritually is going to take seriously this challenge from James and take account of his own heart, his own desires, considering carefully if he is treating prayer as an opportunity to have his own way, praying selfishly, or if he is truly desiring God's will to be done in all things. And this is critical for our relationships with one another because how we pray reveals the true desires and intentions of our heart. Now, I told you I like James because he does not try to make us feel better about ourselves by being sweet with his words. And here's more of this direct approach from James as we continue in the text. I want you to look with me at verses 4 through 6. He is... He is not cautious with his words here. Note that verse 4 starts with this, you adulterous people. He's talking to believers here. And he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, we're hearing from James 
that part of looking carefully at our own hearts means considering who we've made friends with. Have we made friends with God or have we made friends with the world? Now, do you wish to be godly or worldly is the question that James presents. So the challenge from James is that if we want to stop arguing, if we want to stop disputing in our personal relationships with people, then we must start with ourselves and we must fight the battle within against becoming friends with the world. Or maybe better put, we must fight becoming worldly and make being friends with God our priority. But even as you hear me say that, we must fight becoming worldly. You might be thinking, what is being worldly? What's worldly? What makes one worldly? What is worldliness? You spend your time around Christian circles long enough and you'll hear that term, worldliness. Don't be worldly. Right? What is worldliness? Back in James chapter 3 and verse 16, we find what may be the best definition of worldliness where James challenges that. Chapter 3, verse 16, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Now James would argue that worldliness is seen where there is jealousy and selfish ambition. What is worldliness? Says James, it is selfishness, it is jealousy. Jealousy and selfish ambition, that's worldliness. But often... We have a different definition of worldliness. You know what I mean? We have a different definition of what worldliness is or how to guard against being worldly. We sometimes define worldliness as the kinds of things that are on a good Christian's don't list, right? A good Christian has a don't list, we, we think. We've been led to believe that. Don't do those things and you won't be worldly. Anything else is fair game, Unfortunately, what often fails to make the don't list are these attitudes of the heart, which James calls jealousy and selfish ambition. These are the things he points to in verse 1 that war against us from within. And James argues that where these two exist, disorder and every vile practice will follow, and this often in spite of your good Christian don't list. So while it certainly would be a good thing for you and me to have convictions, while certainly it would be a good thing for you and me to make a covenant with God that there are some things I will not do for God's glory and my good, James would argue that if you aren't dealing seriously with jealousy and selfish ambition, then you will be like the world. You will be worldly no matter how Christian you say you are. So back in chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15, James says that the kind of thinking that shows itself as bitter jealousy, the kind of thinking that shows itself as selfish ambition is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This is not God's wisdom. So if it's not God's wisdom, it has to be Earthly wisdom, that's worldly wisdom. That is earthly, it is unspiritual, says James. He goes as far as saying it's demonic, it's of the devil. And this is the way of the world without the work of Christ. 
And then he argues that the outcome of this kind of thinking and living in verse 16 is, again, I I state it because it's so important. He says the outcome is, verse 16, chapter 3, disorder. The outcome is every vile practice. You want to know why you sin? Because if you are hung up in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, all this leads to every vile practice. That's worldliness. Worldliness. And sadly, as is the context of chapter 4, as James challenges believers here, this worldliness has invaded the church. It's invaded the lives of Christians. That's why James is bringing this challenge. And the world that we live in today, and the believers that you and I know, and the, and the ones we know, in, in, you know, walking around in these bodies, you know, the ones are, that we know most well are the ones that... Uh, that that we look at every day in the mirror, we know we still deal with sin, don't we? We know we still fight the fight within. We wage war from within. And this worldliness sadly shows itself in our own lives if we aren't very careful and very diligent. So as we saw last week, to put off worldliness and to put on Christ-likeness in your conflicts You must start with you. You must do serious business with the war that wages within. And you start with you by judging your own selfish motives first. And again, a gauge of whether or not we are being controlled by our selfish motives is our own prayer life. A look at our own prayer lives is a pretty good gauge of where our motives are. Now, as we move into James 4, verses 4 through 6, James adds to this challenge that we must fight becoming friends with the world. If you want your your personal relationships, you want your relationships with people to be right, you must do serious business. You must wage war against becoming worldly. But I want you to note something. Be, Be very careful. You don't hear me saying this because James is not saying this. James is not talking about becoming enemies of people in the world. He's not talking about making people our enemies. He's not talking about making unbelievers our enemies. He's talking about being serious about putting off the world's way of doing things. And more specifically, he's talking about putting off the devil's way of doing things. The devil's way of thinking and acting. And again, we know this is a serious situation for all believers as James uses these strong words to challenge believers. Look again at them. Look at verse 4 again. You adulterous people, says James, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is a serious warning. And all believers need to hear this. This is a serious warning to all who who are followers of Christ, who allow themselves to be swayed by the world's way of thinking, which is being led by, you know, again, as we go back to chapter 3, as as we are led by jealousy and selfish ambition. And we go back to verse 1 in chapter 4 that James pointed to, being led by selfish passions that wage war within James says here that this is friendship with the world. That is worldliness. 
acting like the world, being controlled by your selfish passions that wage war from within. And making yourself an enemy of God is just plain foolish. He says that's what you're doing when you allow yourself to behave like you're an unbeliever, like you don't have the power of God at work in you. You make yourself an enemy of God, and that is foolish. I mean, think of how foolish this is when God's word again and again and again tells us of the wonderful joys and benefits of making God's priorities our own priorities, such as in the passage I read to you this morning, Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. This is This is God's work in us. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Satan says, not true. Real joy is found by doing things the world's way. God's word says, wrong. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How foolish of us to be swayed by the world's way of doing things and think and speak and act like the world when we have this wonderful joy, this benefit of having, having our, our days provided for by God's goodness and grace. It is a foolish thing for those who claim to love the Lord to reject the path of life, to reject the fullness of joy, to reject the pleasures forevermore. And we do that when we refuse to walk at God's right hand, taking up instead the ways of the world. It's a dismal picture, isn't it? It's a challenge, isn't it? And James makes it very clear. He's Again, he's not using flowery words or anything. He's not trying to make us feel better about ourselves. In fact, he's trying to make us feel worse about ourselves to get our attention so that we'll wake up to the, to the war that wages within and the difficulty that we will have in our personal relationships if we don't get serious about our own spiritual lives. So what must believers do who wish to be done with personal conflicts? who wish to be done doing things the world's way. First of all, James says, stop being a spiritual adulterer. Now that is strong language, isn't it? We need to hear this. Stop being a spiritual adulterer, says James. Being a friend of the world, doing things the world's way, the devil's way, is being a spiritual adulterer. How so, you ask? Think about it. If you are a follower of Christ, whose are you? You are Christ's. Believers are Christ's. The church is the bride of Christ. God's word shows us that again and again. In fact, God's word shows us that God's people, Christians, the church, is Christ's bride. And in fact, I love what we find in Ephesians 5 because it is a graphic illustration that marriage which we enjoy as humans on earth, is actually an illustration of the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. One powerful description of that earthly illustration found in Ephesians 5. I want you to listen to it. It might be a passage you know very well. But I want you to listen to it because it it illustrates very clearly with marriage the relationship between Christ and his church, the bride. Ephesians 5, 22, wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, 
his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This, verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you Love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Listen carefully to God's word. Marriage on earth is an illustration. It's an illustration that God has given us to help us see what the relationship between Christ and his church, the bride, is. And so it's clear believers are the bride of Christ. And as James argues here in chapter 4, when believers act like the world, they are being unfaithful to, to their husband. They are being unfaithful to Christ. They are being spiritual adulterers. Serious, is it not? And so believers that allow themselves to be controlled by their own selfishness are living to please self. And you cannot live to please God at the same time. You can't have it both ways. You can't be a spiritual adulterer and be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ at the same time. You either live to please God or you live to please you. And this is serious because those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have been purchased by his blood. He shed his blood. God takes our sin so seriously, he sent his son Jesus Christ, to take the punishment that we deserve for our sins, and he shed his blood for us. So to turn your back on Christ, making friends with the world, being controlled by jealousy and selfish ambition and the passions that war within is making little of what Christ has accomplished and is making yourself an enemy of God. And we dare not take this lightly because God does not take it lightly. That's why James says in verse 5, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? And the point of that statement in verse 5 is this, that God's desire is that our spirit, our life, be fully devoted to God. God is a jealous God because he wants his followers to be fully devoted to him. In fact, several times in the Old Testament, we hear God say, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And rightfully so. In other words, God wants our whole heart. 
He wants our longings to be for him. He wants our lives to be lived for his glory. God wants our spirit, our whole life, to be devoted only to him. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. He wants all of us. He wants every part of our lives to be lived for him and for his glory. And he deserves that. We sang of that this morning. And so James is challenging believers here that if you want to be at peace with people, you must be fully devoted to God. If you want to be at peace with people, in other words, you've got to be at peace with God. You cannot be at peace with people if you are divided in your devotion to God. God's work in believers by way of his word and spirit is seeking to bring about a change in attitudes, a change in deeds, a change in words. And God's ultimate intent is to bring our whole life into subjection to his wisdom and his control. And God's desire for his people is that they be wholly and completely his. Being molded and shaped by his wisdom that is at work in them by way of his word and his spirit. And so says James, the path to being fully devoted to God and being at peace with people You want to know what the path is? Humility. Note verse 6 again. Note verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God gives grace. (laughs) Praise God. God gives grace. Grace in our spiritual lives. Grace in our personal relationships. God gives grace, and that means God gives help. But did you hear something here in verse 6? Only to the humble. God's grace is mightier than your old nature. God's grace is mightier than your desire to sin with a selfish, bitter, and jealous attitude, speech, or conduct. God's grace is greater than the attraction of worldly thinking and living. By God's grace, you have his power to say no to sin, but you must first humble yourself before God. In fact, I've said it before, humility is the first act of obedience before God that a believer makes. You've got to humble yourself before God to trust in Jesus Christ that says you need to be saved because you cannot save yourself. And God says, because of that, I'm sending my son who humbled himself so that you might be saved. Now humble yourself and trust in him. But that's not the end of our humility. That's not of our, the end of our humility before God. God chooses to give his grace to those who humble themselves before him. Now, who are those who humble themselves before God? I would suggest that they are believers who, first of all, realize that in and of themselves, they are powerless to change. And you need God's help. I need God's help. The believer who is humble before God is the one who recognizes their own total depravity and worthlessness apart from God's grace. 
See, the believer who knows completely that they cannot please God with their own effort, so they must totally depend on the supernatural work of God in them, helping them to change, is the humble believer. Is the one who comes with humility before God and says, God, change me by your power. Help me to obey Help me to be more like Jesus Christ. Help me to honor you with my attitudes, with my speech, with my conduct. And to this believer, God gives grace. To this believer, God gives more grace. And we need more and more more of God's grace. We need God's grace daily, don't we? This is the believer to whom God gives grace. Grace to endure when wrongfully treated, when we would like to respond by wringing someone's neck, right? Or shouting, arguing, being bitter. The one who humbles himself before God and asks for God's word to change him or her, asks for God's wisdom and asks for God's will to be done in his or her life, That's the humble believer to whom God gives grace. Grace to endure when wrongfully treated. Grace to be strong when tempted by the ways of the world. Grace to find victory, to please God in his or her personal life and personal relationships. You see, to the humble believer before God, he gives grace. Grace to say no to jealousy. No to jealousy the selfish ambition. And you need God's grace to say no. You need God's help to say no. And I need God's help to say no. We need his grace to say no to the passions that war within. But God calls on us to humble ourselves before him, looking to his word and realizing that these are spoken for our benefit. His word was given for our benefit that we would obey them and find more of God's grace. Grace to say no to jealousy and selfish ambition and grace to to be done with the passions that wage war within and grace to say yes to obeying God's word. And we will see as we continue our study this wonderful truth in the days ahead as, as we continue in James, grace to resist the ploys of the devil. We need that help, don't we? The devil is active, powerful. He is seeking believers who will will distrust their Savior, distrust God, and believe in a lie. And God gives grace even for dealing with the ploys of the devil. And we'll see that next time.